Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oreo Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul McConnell and Brendan Mortensen here with you. And Brendan, I recently had some dental surgery right before opening day. The hope is the timetable for my return is that I will be, you know, these are considered podcast activities, so I'm ramping back up. But the hope is that I will be a 100% participant by opening day. Yeah, uh, but for today, you know, just a little light workout. You know, maybe I'm throwing off flat ground. You know, I'm talking uh, without using my mouth too much. I don't know how that's possible. Sure. But you know, my upper lip. Try not to use that. Uh, and I'm playing through some pain, if you will. Well, you, you have to. It's we're in crunch time. When you get to crunch time, you've got to play through pain. Look, the the players are getting ready with a shortened spring training, and we are too. Yeah. So I have to I have to get ramped up if I want to, and I want to you know, run out on that orange carpet on opening day. Right. So I have to be ready to tackled go. Because somebody will say, well, why are you here? He's not supposed to be here. One of the kids that, because they're, they line the orange carpet with kids. One of the kids <laughs> You're is going to sneak me. into the line as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, okay, that's, that's definitely not a kid there. Uh, so bear with us today, but I will not be getting my one shot, my glamour shot, Brendan. Yeah. My bad diva shot. You bad will. day, bad day for Paul's ego, not getting the one shot. Yeah. This is, uh, as one of our commenters said, Paul Mancano, a legend in his own mind. Uh, still my <laughs> One of our comment. best comments. Uh, up there with this looks like a high school broadcast. Which, that was uh, from yesterday. Yeah, that, that's that exciting. one felt good. Did that feel good? It did. Blow to the old ego? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you well know. thanks for tuning in. Uh, lunch is a little early today. Uh, there is early dismissal as well. It's a high school broadcast there, Brendan. Yeah, I didn't know what you were going for when you started it, that's, so I appreciate where the I was going. Um, yeah. All right. We got a lot to talk about today as we are in the midst of spring training right now. Orioles uh, have already begun their exhibition slate and they will continue it this week and they have a game on Masson this Thursday, Brendan, against the Red Sox. Exciting stuff. The first of three games on Masson this spring. So naturally, let's start by talking about Carlos Correa. Naturally, uh, we have to. We finally have can put this to bed. Uh, f- at least for the next seven months, because Carlos Correa he's going to opt out. Signs in Minnesota for a three-year deal, over a hundred million, but he has opt-outs after the first two years. So if he stays healthy and is productive this year, Brendan, he's probably going to opt out and look for a longer-term deal. And guess what? In Baltimore, we're going to be talking about it all over again. We're going to have to once he hits free agency. I mean, look, it it got to the point where it, it was getting out of hand because really the longer was. Carlos Correa did not get signed the more Orioles fans on Twitter.com were saying in every comment section of every article posted of every Orioles-related tweet, where is Carlos Correa? Yeah, our mentions were... A it little, was just it was Correa. A, it was a little rough. Yeah. It was a little rough. And I think people, you know, probably went a little too far with that. Went overboard. Because, I mean, it, it's it's fun and exciting to think about Carlos, it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to happen. But honestly, and whoa, this is going to be the, the, we're not going to talk about it too much right now, but it would make a lot more sense in a year's time than it would now. Yeah. If you think about it. I know we can't start this now, We can't start this, but look, I know he'll be a year older, but Brendan, the Orioles will theoretically be one year farther down the road in their rebuild. It could make a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense, but it's, it, guess what? Still not going to happen. Well, the reason that we thought it probably wasn't, well, a big reason why it wasn't going to happen for, for numerous reasons is because the Orioles would be paying Carlos Correa a ton of money for the 2022 season, a season in which they were not going to be competitive. You take that out of the equation now. And if they're fairly competitive or plan to be in 2023, guess what? You could sign him to a long-term deal and not have to worry about paying him $29 million or $30 million for a year in which you're not competitive. Well, two things, Paul. A- he would first need to actually opt out of this deal. For he would this need to be healthy and productive to be and, a thing. Yes. He would need to be good last I think next year. I think it's highly likely. I think there's an above 50% chance that he opts out probably after this year. He's also going to need to be healthy and productive, like you said, because mm-hmm. Carlos Correa over his career has struggled with injuries a little bit. And most importantly, if we start talking about this now, 
we will never stop hearing the end of it. Yeah. So so we've got to we've got to put it on the back burner for a little while. Yeah, we do. We do. Uh, we got to start talking about things that are more pertinent yeah. to this conversation uh, and to the current state of the Orioles. And uh, the Orioles did make an addition to their infield. It was not Carlos Correa, but since we last spoke, Chris Owings signed with the Orioles on a minor league deal. And I know that the Orioles are making a lot of minor league signings at this time with invitations to spring training. But this one stuck out to me, Brendan, because first off, he was in our Free agency bracket several months ago. Good addition by you. Thank you. He was eliminated in the first round, probably on second thought. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Should have at least gotten to the second or third round. I, I tried to vouch for him, I think. You did, and, and Tim Leonard and I just shot it down. What a common theme there. Yeah, uh, but there's a lot to like about Chris Owings, and I think that he has, even though he is just a minor league signing within invite to spring training, I think he has somewhat of an inside track to an opening day roster spot. Yeah, because he's been pretty good The last two seasons. I mean, he's been very good the last two seasons. If you don't look at the incredibly small sample size, his slash line is great. 298, 372, 536 in 38 games between 2020 and 2021. That's really good. Obviously, it remains to be seen if that can be extrapolated over an entire season, which more than likely it will not because over his career, he is just a 660 OPS player, but there is at least a slim chance that Chris Owings has figured something out over the last two years, and that's why we've seen an improvement in those numbers. And maybe if he wasn't injured, he would be getting a much bigger contract than he is getting currently. And I think the proper way to frame this is depth. He's not being signed as an everyday player. And we thought after the O signed Rugnet Odor to be pretty much their everyday second baseman, we thought that they might make a similar addition at shortstop or third base, and it appears that they're opting more for depth in this case, because they have Jorge Mateo, who they very much like in the building. They have Kelvin Gutierrez, who was intriguing in that small sample size last year. And then they're waiting on the Jordan Westbergs, the Joey Ortizes, the Gunnar Hendersons to come up, not to even mention Patrick Dorians and Ryland Bannons and those guys who are closer to the bigs. So they have the guys in the wings waiting, but they definitely need depth right now. And I think of Chris Owings as a better version of Pat Vileka because he can't, he, he's not relegated to one specific spot. Brandon Hyde can use him all over the diamond. He can play legitimately any position. He's in those 21 games last year, tiny sample size, only 50 plate appearances. He still managed to play second base, left field, center field, right field, third base, shortstop, NDH. Yeah. So he can play every position, save pitcher and catcher. So basically you can use him all over the diamond. That's how Brandon Hyde used Pat Vileka in recent years because injuries happen, guys aren't ready in certain amount of times, and you just need to give guys days off. Chris Owings, to me, fills that void. Yeah, he's got a ton of career innings at shortstop, second base, center field, and right field. Like you mentioned, also has the ability to play third base or left field if need be. He's a little bit different from Vileka, where, well, first of all, I think he is better than Pat Vileka was. He's also a little bit more defense first than Pat Vileka was. With Vileka, he was a decent enough hitter where you would try to hide him at whatever position he was playing. It didn't really work to hide him at shortstop very often. So defensively, Pat Vileka was kind of a liability for you there. Whereas I think Chris Owings, you can plug and play with a lot more confidence where maybe the bat isn't going to be great. He's probably going to be your eight or nine hitter in the lineup, but at least the defense will be pretty good for a plug and play depth player. If you had to guess right now, we're a couple weeks away from opening day. Does he make your 26-man opening day roster? He does. Yeah, I too. think it's probably down to him or Shedlong Jr. for a very similar role, yeah. I would imagine. I think Chris Owings probably gets the edge. Yeah, Shedlong Jr. is younger. He's like 26, I believe, whereas Chris Owings is 30. But Brandon Hyde might need somebody who's more veteran in that position because you have already so much youth. I mean, Kelvin Gutierrez, Jemai uh, Jones, Jorge Mateo, those guys are between the ages of 24 and 27. So you don't really have a piece to anchor that infield. Rugnet Odor is the seasoned veteran at second base, and he's 28 years old. Right. So it's going to be a young infield regardless of whether Chris Owings makes this roster or not. Well, and through no fault of his own, Shedlong Jr. is also hurt. So if you've got Chris Owings, who is showing you something in spring training, and then Shedlong Jr., who does not have the opportunity to show you anything, 
you're probably going to opt for Chris Owings if he plays well during spring training. Speaking of injuries, unfortunately, Adley Rutschman going down with a triceps injury. This happened very early in camp. And Brendan, that seems to knock him out of the conversation for the opening day roster. I know we were intrigued by the idea of him making the opening day roster because of the new incentives added in the new collective bargaining agreement for teams to bring up top prospects and have them make the opening day roster. But at this point, considering he's going to be running right up until opening day in terms of his return date, it seems unlikely that he'll be in Baltimore to start the season. Yeah, well, Mike Elias had said that the new CBA wasn't going to impact his decision about whether or not Adley Rutschman made the opening day roster. I don't know if either of us really bought that because I think it at least has to weigh into your decision a little bit, but ultimately it was going to come down to whether or not Adley Rutschman talent-wise and development-wise was ready to make the team. And of course, this injury, Rockabaco said, like you mentioned, pretty much eliminates his chances of breaking camp with the Orioles. So I think because the Orioles probably won't get the incentive for calling him up early, based on, again, we don't know the specifics of how the rule works, but because they probably won't get that incentive, I would imagine that Adley Rutschman has a more extended stay with AAA Norfolk than we originally thought. And this is the caveat that we had when we said that it was possible that they could bring him up as injury. It's a caveat with every conversation, and in this conversation, it's unfortunate, but the Orioles have to do the right thing for Adley, and that seems to be setting him back down to AAA to start the season to get his feet back under him, it would be very difficult even for a top prospect to throw him into the fire and have him make his major league debut when he really did not get enough at-bats and enough reps in spring training. So I think it makes all the sense in the world to have Robinson Chirino start as your opening day catcher. Maybe a Jacob Nottingham or an Anthony Bemboom makes the opening day roster as your backup backstop. And then as soon as Adley has enough at-bats under him, call him right up option or DFA, Ben Boom or Nottingham. Yeah, and obviously you'd like to have Adley Rutschman on your opening day roster because I think we can agree that he is the most talented catcher in the organization. I think most people would agree. But Robinson Torinos is still a solid opening day starting catcher despite what some fans in our comment section might believe. Robinson Torinos is a good catcher. So I think you're pretty much set there for as long as it takes Adley Rutschman to get up to the majors between Torinos and, like you said, I think Ben Boom and Nottingham are probably going to fight it out for the backup catcher spot. Yeah, and like I said in previous podcasts, He's still better than Jesus Sucre, who was their opening day catcher three years ago in 2019 and lasted 50 games, I believe, before he ultimately lasted 20 games before he ultimately was off the roster, was sent down to the minor leagues and never returned. So I think Chirinos is a much better opening day catcher than those kind of guys. But look, the wait for Adley is not going to be long. And as soon as they get him up, I think this conversation will be entirely moot. It's just frustrating. I, I right. get it from the from Orioles fans' perspective because it seemed like there was a legitimate possibility and then it was snatched away from them just as quickly. But nothing anybody can do about it. Right. I would also argue that Robinson Torinos, I think, is an improvement at catcher from Pedro Severino and Austin Wins. So, uh, Austin Wins also... Signing with the Phillies, I believe, on a minor league deal. Yep. So a nice thank you to Baltimore on his way out as well. The organization that he spent seven, eight years with. Yeah. So longtime uh, Austin wins. Glad to see that he is uh, getting another job in the big leagues, hopefully, if he makes that big league team. All right, Brandon. Plenty of spring training battles to be waged, to be raging across the Orioles roster as they scramble to get ready for opening day. And it's going to be interesting to see who makes the team. We're not going to give our predictions just yet on the 26-man roster, I think, for opening day. But we can set the stage and break down some of the roster battles that are happening right now and some of the things that Brandon Hyde is looking for. He's got a lot on his plate as he's trying to get the veterans enough at-bats and get them ready. means probably sending a lot of them on road trips that they may be in previous years would not be going on long bus rides, but he's got to get those guys ready. And then he has to look at the young guys and some of the free agent acquisitions that they brought in and determine who is going to make this team. And I think it starts with the rotation because after John Means and Jordan Lyles got three big question marks there, it is a wide open competition. Yeah, and I think you and I were both surprised that the Orioles have not added another veteran starting pitcher 
I thought that they might add somebody to kind of fill into that number three role. But like you said, as of right now, it's John Means as your opening day starter. Jordan Lyles is going to be the number two based on his track record and the amount of money that they gave him in the offseason. And then after that, you don't really know. I think the next probable lock is Bruce Zimmerman. If there's somebody from the rest of the group that I would... If you're telling me you need to pick one pitcher to guess as to who is the number three starter in this rotation, I think it's Bruce Zimmerman. I give him higher odds of cracking the rotation than the rest of the kind of jumbo of guys. And Brandon Hyde has not tipped his hand just yet because he said that we're recording this podcast as of Tuesday, uh, the 22nd. He said that in the middle of the week, this week, he's going to start using and rolling out the guys that he expects to be starters or at least be close to starters. So he... In the first couple games of spring training, he's thrown out Tyler Wells, who we expect will probably, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but, you know, he's odds are he's going to be a reliever for you this year. He's thrown out Spencer Watkins. So guys that we don't really expect to be starters because he's getting those guys ready to start this week. I think this week we may get a better idea of who's going to be there. But I think I agree with you. Bruce Zimmerman, to me, makes the most sense externally from where we're sitting because he's older of the group of prospects that we're talking about. Uh, he did look pretty good. He had the lowest, second lowest ERA of any starter in 2021 who got more than 10 starts last year for the Orioles. And it wasn't particularly low, but it was low enough that I think you got to give him another shot. Yeah, we've talked about Zimmerman before, just consistently pretty good. Allowed three runs or fewer in 11 of his 13 starts last year. But again, he only pitched after the fifth inning in five of those starts and never pitched into the seventh. And and his stat cast numbers, as I recall, are dreadful. His expected ERA is not good. It would, a lot of numbers that would indicate kind of like another starting pitcher that we're going to talk about in a little bit, even though the numbers on the surface are decent, once you dive a little deeper, the advanced metrics did not like Bruce Zimmerman last year. Beyond Zimmerman, you have a couple prospects in Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells. Lowther, 26. Wells, 25. Both lefties. Neither one of these guys has overpowering stuff. They've pretty much been brought up together through the system. They've been at the same level as they've gone up. We saw a little bit from them last year, but they both had inflated ERAs. They they had a 6.67 for Lowther and a 6.75 for Wells. Not great, at the big league level. Okay at the minors, and Wells was slightly better than Lowther was uh, at AAA Norfolk. Uh, but both these guys, it's kind of strange how similar their paths have been. They're at the minor leagues, and then they get up to the big leagues, and their ERAs are strikingly similar in their first years. Yeah, after Means, Lyles, and Zimmerman, I think there's kind of a group of four. Those two guys are in it that I think are going to be competing for the last two spots in the rotation. Those guys being Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells, like you mentioned. And then I'd also throw Keegan Aiken and Mike Bauman into that group. I think Mike Bauman, of those four, probably I would give the lowest percent chance of cracking the starting rotation simply because he is a little bit better prospect and I think you're going to wait on him a little bit if you feel like he needs some more time at AAA Norfolk you're going to give Mike Bauman that time rather than just kind of throwing somebody like Keegan Aiken in who has not been as good as expected, has lost that kind of top-end prospect status. So I think Mike Bauman probably has the lowest percent chance out of that group. But Keegan Aiken, Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells, I think are the three that I'm really looking at for the final two spots in the rotation. The shine on Keegan Aiken has certainly dimmed, yes. and he is a little bit older. He's going to be 27 this year on April 1st, I believe. He just is on the outside looking in of these guys just because the production has not been very good, and he's been given the biggest chance at the big leagues of all four of these guys, and we just not ha- we just have not seen it. Um, both as a reliever and a, and a starter, he has struggled. Uh, and I know that he has some external factors that make him intriguing. He's got great spin rate on his fastball, but until we see it, uh, it's going to be difficult to say that this guy can be uh, a, a big league starter or reliever at this point. I think he'll get another chance. I mean, I think we could see something similar. What we saw last year was Keegan Aiken uh, did not pitch very well at all, 10 earned runs and in 10 innings in spring training, and then had to be optioned down to AAA. He can't have a disastrous spring like that again. But 
if he makes the opening day roster, my guess is is going to be him in the bullpen, but who knows? Anything goes with this team. Yeah, I think Aiken could probably be a long reliever. I don't have a ton of confidence in him as a starter. This is, I'm sure, a hot take, but I don't have that much more confidence in Keegan Aiken than I have in somebody like Dean Kramer. Keegan Aiken has gotten more opportunities at the major league level, and we just haven't really seen him take advantage of that opportunity. And so I think if Keegan Aiken struggles, even if he gets starts out of the gate, I think if we see Keegan Aiken struggle over four or five starts to begin the year, I think he goes pretty quickly into long relief. Yeah. If he can't succeed there, he's just not going to succeed in the majors. Yeah, and you mentioned it briefly, but Bauman workload is going to be my biggest concern because none of these guys, you know, a a couple of them, Bruce Zimmerman got his feet wet in the big leagues in 2020. Um, You know, Aiken got his his feet wet in the big leagues in 2020, but the rest of these guys did not have a season in 2020. All they had was the alternate site in Bowie. So he didn't get a whole lot of reps there. He actually had an injury in 2020 that went over into 2021 and he had a shortened season because of it in 2021. The Orioles were very careful with him last year. I just don't know if they want to start, you know, April 6th, April 8th with him in the rotation getting big league starts because they're going to want him to go fairly deep into games to help the bullpen. They can't be that careful with him up at the big league level. And I just don't think he's going to have a long enough leash to the point where it makes sense for him to start the season in the big league rotation. I I would agree. I I think Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells, given how they ended last season, Mike Bauman didn't start games. Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells, once you hit September and they were given an actual opportunity to start every fifth day, Zach Lowther and Alexander Wells got better throughout September. They both had excellent final two starts of the year. So I think that at least warrants seeing what they have in the starting rotation. Alexander Wells, I think, probably profiles better as a bullpen arm, whereas I think Zach Lowther has a little bit of a better chance to be in the starting rotation. But I think both of them, given how they ended the season, are warranting seeing how they look in the rotation. The problem with both those guys is Lowther and Wells, neither one of them are prototypical relievers, prototypical high-leverage relievers especially, because... Their stuff is not overpowering. Their fastballs top out. Lowther's tops out about 94. Wells tops out about 91. So neither one of those guys is going to be an eighth, ninth inning guys. And then you're talking about a sixth, seventh bridge, long relief type guy. And with a team that's going to have a lot of those guys, it's going to be difficult to squeeze those guys in. So I think you got to try them as starters for as long as you can. We've had that conversation before. Yeah, and then some dark horses, Dean Kramer, Mm-hmm. We thought he was going to be a big part of the rotation last year, and then obviously things did not pan out. If he has a good the spring O's training, so and, too. <laughs> right? I think if yeah. he has a solid spring training and impresses coaches enough, I think there's a chance we could see him back in the bigs and potentially getting some starts because you don't really have anything to lose with Dean Kramer at this point. He's either got it or he doesn't. I think his confidence is the only thing I worry about. He's 26. And yeah, but it's kind of, it's put up or shut up time for Dean Kramer at this point, I think. Yeah, uh, I, I hope that he does well, and, and I, I know the Orioles certainly hope so. He's just got to get his groove back. Right. I mean, he really did not have it in the big leagues last year. He got, was given two different opportunities. You know, remember he started the year, spent the first six weeks in the rotation, struggled, was sent back down, looked okay in Norfolk, and they called him back up, and then he got shelled in Toronto, I believe it was. Uh, so he had a 7.55 ERA in the big leagues. And then with Norfolk, not much better, 4.91 with the Tides. So he's got to get his groove back. And I think the Orioles are just not expecting it. They're hoping that they can get something from him, but you, you can't expect anything from Dean Kramer. Right. But he is a dark horse if he shows you a little bit of something. Yeah, Dean Kramer, I think, would have to be a pleasant surprise if he plays well enough in spring training to warrant a starting rotation spot. And then Chris Ellis was just brought back I think he has a really outside chance of cracking the starting rotation. His numbers would indicate that he was pretty good last year. He had a 2.15 ERA, a whip just over 1.1 in seven games over 29 innings pitched. But again, his advanced metrics do not favor Chris Ellis. His Well, first of all, his strikeout to walk ratio, very bad. Had 23 strikeouts and 14 walks. And his expected ERA was 5.48. So if you stretch Chris Ellis out for longer than 29 innings, 
his ERA is not going to be 215. Yeah, remember he looked very good against the Yankees in that one start. Uh, he, I think he was carrying a no-hitter into the fifth inning at that yeah. point. He got only those six starts, and he was great. The ERA was great, 249. But like you said, the, the external factors were why the Orioles dropped him. And I know that there was some fan outcry when the Orioles dropped him, and we were a little bit surprised because they needed a roster spot on the 40-man, and he was good. He was legitimately pretty good. Yeah. It, but, but again, it was six starts. And odds are, with those stat cast numbers in mind, if he had been given more than six starts, if he had been asked to pitch into the sixth or seventh inning, though he would not have looked very good. But the, the important thing is the bar is low at this point for the Orioles to have a quality starter. So might as well give him a shot. I mean, he's, right. he's 29 at this point. And if the Orioles need somebody, if, if none of these other guys are ready, I would be okay with Chris Ellis as a placeholder for the first couple weeks of the season. Yeah, and again, the advanced stats aren't everything, but right. they just indicate to you that if you were to stretch Chris Ellis out a little bit more and give him a larger sample size, the ERA is not going to be Cy Young level. <laughs> I, I am intrigued, though, because now he's going to have a full spring, well, full spring training, uh, but he's going to have more time with this coaching staff. Yeah. Again, he didn't have the whole year last year with the Orioles coaching staff and with, with Chris Holt. So maybe the Orioles saw something in him and decided to bring him back, but it's pretty clear what they thought of him, the fact they let him go the first time before signing him back to a minor league deal. And pretty clear what the rest of the league thought about Chris Ellis as well, given yeah. the fact that he was able to be let go he was with what the Rays very briefly last year yeah and then was able to return to the Orioles on a minor league deal no other team in baseball was banging down the door for Chris Ellis yeah but you never know I mean similar story with Cole Sulcer and he turned in an outstanding year last year this is true um other than that Tyler Wells yeah got to talk about him because the Orioles used him as a starter yesterday and he looked pretty good by all accounts yeah I mean there's a case to be made that Tyler Wells is just a top two or three pitcher on this team period whether it's starter or reliever and he was a starter throughout his entire minor league career obviously he was in the bullpen last year and I think kind of the question with Tyler Wells at this point is would you rather have him be a starter where you don't really know what you have in him or would you rather keep him in the bullpen, get him more used to pitching in high leverage situations, and potentially have a very good back end of the bullpen guy that can pitch in the eighth or ninth inning pretty consistently for you? Yeah, this reminds me of conversations that we've had in previous years. Miguel Castro, Tanner Scott, very good, young, exciting relievers with great stuff. And the question is, can you harness that and can they get a third or fourth, potentially fourth pitch to use them as a starter? Neither of those guys was cut out for it. I think Tyler Wells may be the exception and it's at least worth exploring. I don't know if it's the time now. He's 27 years old and I don't know if you want to change things up on him this quickly and this early in his career. Well, to be fair, the move to the bullpen was a change for him last year. True, but he did have a little bit of time. There was some... I feel like it's easier to make that transition. It's it's easier to transition from starter in the minors, yeah. relievers in the majors, to vice versa. Yeah, and, and he had the Tommy John, so he was kind of like not pitching. He had not been a starter full-time since like 2018, really. Uh, so I'm intrigued by it. I don't know if he'll start the season in the rotation, but if the Orioles... They, they know better than us in this situation. If they think that he can handle it, might as well. Yeah, and if he is good enough to be the number three starter in the rotation, I think he, if they stretch him out to be a starter, I think Tyler Wells, you have to give him an opportunity every fifth day. Because if that's the plan, you need to stick to it. And I don't know if it's worth moving him from the high leverage situation in the bullpen just to see if he could maybe potentially be a starter. I think the Orioles are considering it because they have so few legitimate options right now. And I wouldn't rule out them signing somebody else to a minor league deal. We're still, even though we're very close to opening day, as we know, free agents have been still coming off the board. So there are still a lot of guys. It's like the third wave now, but there are still a lot of guys that are out there in free agency that the Orioles might take a chance on. Uh, as a last minute, you know, like Zach Davies, I'm fairly certain at the time of this recording is still unsigned. I think he literally got signed this morning. Did he? I think so. Ah, I shouldn't have slept in. 
yeah. this is what happens. Tough. Uh, but guys like that, guys of that ilk, I wouldn't rule out the Orioles signing one of these guys, especially if they get, you know, as we get further along into the week and they're looking at their options and they're realizing how thin they are, they may go back to that market again. Uh, and try to sign somebody. Should we move over to the infield? We should. The infield is another big spot, hot spot in terms of spring training battles. To me, there are only a couple locks to make this opening day infield, and it starts with the first baseman. I mean, it's Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Mancini. Obvious locks. Trey Mancini might be used in the outfield. That's an intriguing storyline. Yeah. I don't know how much the Orioles are going to do that. I think that's an emergency situation. Brandon Hyde kind of indicated he did it in years past. He didn't do it last year because Trey Mancini, last year, they wanted to take as much off his plate as possible. Totally understandable. They wanted to introduce him to it this year as a, so that if they ask him on June 30th in a spot where everybody's hurt and they say, Trey, go play right field, that he's not totally off, taken off guard. But I think he's obviously a lock. Ryan Mountcastle is a lock. And I have Rugnet Odor as my third lock to make this team. Yeah, I think Rugnet Odor is a lock to make the team. Yeah. He said, I think somebody asked him about playing third base with the Yankees last okay. year and killed my take. Yeah, because he, he really did. Because he, he was looking to, he, I think he said at Brendan Morty before he said uh, it. Probably, yeah. because I have had the take for a while that because the Orioles have a bigger need at third base than second base, maybe they signed Rudin Odor, looked at the 20 or so games that he played at third base for the Yankees last year and said, well, maybe he can be our starting third baseman rather than our starting second baseman since we have Ramon Arias, Jemiah Jones. It would make more sense, theoretically. And then somebody asked Rudin Odor about his time playing third base with the Yankees last year, and he basically said he hated it. Yeah. So he's not going to play third base. He said it did not go well. And, you, and he said, Brendan, your take was stupid. Yep. And I hate you specifically. Well, That's what that, he said. That, yeah, exactly. Uh, he insulted your hair. It was a whole he thing. He did. He, he got really personal. It, it went a little far. Yeah. Rugnet Odor said none of these things, uh, to be clear. Uh, but essentially, he that was the only time last year in his career that he had been used at third. And we didn't have a big enough sample size to see how he did, but the Orioles are not using him there. We've debated on this podcast whether the Orioles have a bigger need at second base or third base. They signed him to be a second baseman. And even though they have Jemai Jones waiting, they have Ramon Rios who can play second. They clearly want him to play second base because, look, they're they're very careful with Jemai Jones. They don't want to, they clearly don't think he's 100% ready to take over that spot. And they must feel comfortable with Kelvin Gutierrez. And they must feel comfortable with Ramon Arias playing third as well. Yeah, I think it's got to be probably some combination of Arias being able to play third and just not being all that confident in Jemai Jones. Yeah. Because from my perspective, I thought the combination of Arias and Jemai Jones at second would suffice with Rutnet Odor playing third. But again, a moot point. Rutnet Odor said he's uncomfortable playing the hot corner. He will not be playing the hot corner, so I agree. I think he is a lock for second base. Shortstop and third base, the left side of the infield, is where things really get up in the air. Yeah. I think there's a category of players that are just going to make the team somewhere, no yep. matter where they're actually playing, and I think that's Ramona Rios, Jorge Mateo, Calvin Gutierrez. Yes. I don't think they're going to be everyday starters anywhere, but they're going to make the team in some capacity. Yeah. Those guys are pretty much locks. Yeah, I, I think there's no reason to cut any of those guys. Gutierrez, I think, is the only one that might get cut, but he's the only true third baseman on the roster. Yeah, you would need to feel really confident that Ramon Rios can play third base close to every day if you're going to move on from Calvin Gutierrez, and I just don't think that's the case. Or if they see something they really like from Chris Owings and feel better about him, but... Owings is a possibility as well, yeah. Gutierrez is three years younger, and he looked okay last year, so might as well. And and defense has been his calling card in his time with Kansas City. It was his defense first, and then his offense was always lagging behind. So, and his bat got better down the stretch last year. Exactly. So I think Urias, absolutely. I mean, he's just too valuable to not have on this roster, considering right. his positional versatility. Uh, considering how good he looked last year, and Brandon Hyde seems to love the guy. I think he's absolutely going to make this team. Where he plays, we have no idea. Jorge Mateo, I saw a comment on Facebook, is he going to be your opening day shortstop? And I think he is going to, at very least, unless the Orioles make one more addition, I think at very least he's going to split time 
pretty evenly with Ramon Rios or in an emergency situation, Chris Owings. I think he's going to maybe not start opening day, but he's going to get a lot of opportunities, I imagine, at shortstop. Yeah, I think so. I mean, two years ago, I touted myself as a Cedric Mullins stan account, and, and that turned out pretty well. It did. I think I'm I'm just about ready to be a Jorge Mateo stan account, Paul. Okay. I love what we saw from Jorge Mateo last year. I think he has a chance to be an everyday shortstop because the pedigree has always been there from the time that he was a top prospect in the Yankees system, was the centerpiece of a sunny gray trait. He's always been a really toolsy prospect, and maybe the Orioles are just presenting him with the right opportunity to finally get enough reps to put all of that together. Yeah, I, that's what he needs. I mean, that's that's the reason that people liked from the outside the addition of a waiver claim in the later stages of the 2021 season of Jorge Mateo because with the Padres, he just did not get enough opportunities. And right. he had to be used all across the diamond. He was used in the outfield at times, and he never got his feet under him at any defensive position, let alone getting regular at-bats. So if they give him those regular at-bats, it's at least worth a shot. He's at least going to be more exciting and more intriguing than Stevie Wilkerson. I'll say that. Yes. So I think I, I would like to see it. I think there's a good chance that he it may not be in the opening day lineup. You know, they, they may give that spot to Ramon Rios because he's been here a couple of years now and it's a nice honor to give uh, and, you know, have him be maybe your opening day shortstop or your home opener shortstop. But Jorge Mateo will get an opportunity. And I think long-term, I know this really isn't how Brandon Hyde is going to think this year, obviously, but long-term, you've got good shortstops coming up in the system in Jordan Westberg and Gunnar Henderson, who are going to be in the majors relatively soon. I don't know if we'll see them this year, but I think certainly by next year, we will see those guys in the majors. Yeah. So Jorge Mateo is more than likely not going to play well enough to block those guys from starting at shortstop a few years down the line. But if Jorge Mateo can get enough reps at shortstop, he has the speed to play outfield. If you're just playing him consistently, I think over the next few years, Jorge Mateo has a chance to turn into a pretty valuable bench piece. Yeah, and then other than those guys, Jemai Jones, only 24. He's still so young. And the Orioles still from everything that we've seen, are still not 100% confident in giving him an opening day spot. And he, like you said, he, he did not barrel really any baseballs. He was big good level. at the plate last year. He was not good. Uh, and that is a, it, it's a toolsy player who is intriguing. He has great makeup from what we can tell. Um, he's exciting. He makes flashy plays, but he needs to be better at the plate in order for the Orioles to feel confident giving him a spot. And because he's kind of relegated to second base, haven't really used him at third base, can't play shortstop, the Orioles might send him back down to AAA to start the season and opt for a more versatile veteran in Chris Owings. I haven't looked at exactly how the 26-man roster would break down to know the I think exact on our, numbers. On our, our next podcast, we'll probably give our prediction. Yeah, but I think... Just talent-wise, I think both Jemai Jones and Chris Owings should make this team. If there's one that I'm going to drop down, like you said, it's Jemai Jones. You give him a little bit more time at AAA, but again, the argument there is that he didn't really need to show you all that much more at AAA. That was what we were saying all of last season was, yes, he wasn't playing amazingly at AAA. He wasn't tearing the cover off the ball, but what else did he need to do at that point? I yeah. guess it would still... Well, certainly, there would still be value in him going back down, working on his defense, trying to improve the bat because the bat was clearly not Major League ready last year, but it was certainly AAA ready, and it was certainly good enough to play well at Norfolk. Yeah. So I don't know really what else Jemai Jones needs to show you in terms of being eligible to make the Major League roster, but if there's one of those two between Jones and Owings that I'm dropping off, it's Jemai Jones. I think he needs to show a little bit more. I don't think he tore the cover off the ball for the first, like, what, month, a couple months of the season last year in AAA Norfolk. And then remember, his production dropped off significantly. Yeah, he had that. like a 900 OPS in the first month and a half. And then by the time he was called up, I mean, that was, that had fallen down closer to 800 and maybe below that. So yeah. he really struggled in the middle part of the season. So I, I don't think it's, ridiculous to send him back down to triple a i know that there are a lot of jemai jones stands out there 
that want to see him. Twitter will be it. angry. Twitter will be, eh, but I think people understand at this point that he, they, they got to look at him last year and he was not good enough. So yeah. I think people understand, you know, it's not like they're the Orioles aren't unfounded in their belief that he's not ready. You know, we saw it um, last year. So I would love to see him get ready and, and make himself a hundred percent a major league player, but he's just not quite there yet. Dark horses for the infield. I think the door is pretty closed on these guys. Maybe they sneak through Rylan Bannon and Taryn Vavra. Both guys at least were invited to big league camp. Bannon, you talk about the needing to show that he can be a big leaguer now more than ever. You mentioned that with Dean Kramer. It is Rylan Bannon's time. He's 26 years old. He has got to show that there was a reason that he was a part of that Manny Machado trade. There was a reason that he was a top 30 prospect for several years. He has got to put it together and show himself ready for big league play. He wasn't very good last year, hit just 160-something, despite the fact that he had an incredibly hot September and was hitting a home run every two days. Still wasn't good enough. And I think the Orioles will send him back down to Norfolk and give him one more opportunity because he is just not there. He's not. Two very different cases for Ryland Bannon and Taron Vavra. Ryland Bannon, like you said, he was just bad at AAA. You can't justify calling up Ryland Bannon if he's hitting 150 at AAA. That's just not good enough. And then Taron Vavra seems like he would make sense to call up based on his age and where his progression would have been if he didn't get hurt last year. Taron Vavra started the year exceptionally well at double-A Bowie, probably would have made his way up to triple-A Norfolk if he had not gotten injured, and then the injury sets him back in his progression last season. And if Taron Vavra was at triple-A last year, we'd probably be talking about him as a potential opening day starter somewhere, maybe at second base, maybe at shortstop. Taron Vavra, good prospect. I think he would have to play really, really well in spring training to get a call up. I think you probably just start him at AAA this year. Maybe he gets called up halfway through the year, but I think Taron Vavra needs more time. I agree. And it's nice to see that he got the invite to big league spring training, whereas some of the higher, more touted prospects did not, but they're further away. Right. It, it shows that there's a reason Vavra was, you know, started the 2021 season at Bowie that they feel he's more advanced than some of those guys, than a Jordan Westberg, than a Gunnar Henderson. So he may make it up before they do, despite the fact that those guys are more highly touted. Yeah, I think Vavra could be a midseason call-up, but given the fact that he did not get up to AAA Norfolk last year, I think we at least need to see him there. Yeah, definitely. And he wasn't hitting the cover off the ball. I think he had like 265 uh, in Bowie last year. Yeah, the injury seemed to hamper him a little bit Definitely. because the beginning of the year prior to the injury, Taron Vavra looked incredible. Yeah. And then post-injury, came back to Bowie, did not look as good. Hopefully he's fully healthy this year and can show us something similar to what he did at the beginning of last year. So I think the rotation and the infield are the most intriguing battles in terms of spring training. Any other areas that you're looking at, Brendan? Yeah, Kind of the back end of the bullpen, I think, is intriguing. There's a lot of locks. Tyler Wells, if he stays in the bullpen, is a lock. Jorge Lopez, Tanner Scott, Cole Sulcer, Dylan Tate, I think they are all solidly in the bullpen. Paul Fry, more than likely in the bullpen. I wouldn't call him a lock, but unless he gets absolutely blown up in spring training, I think Paul Fry makes the team. And then there's just kind of a jumble of younger rotation arms that I will be interested to see who actually cracks the opening day roster. Marcos Duplan looked excellent yesterday. I think he had one inning, three strikeouts. I don't know if that was yesterday or a difference. I don't know. He's looked good so far. Marcos Duplan, Cianal Perez, Brian Baker, Isaac Matson, Felix Bautista, and Nick Vespi, who looked very good yesterday too. Just kind of a jumble of younger names that I think all have a chance to make the bullpen. There's some love in our chat for Connor Green. Connor Green, too. Just Signed got brought a minor back. league deal. Yeah. And Me he is one where his expected ERA and advanced metrics favored him a lot more than his 7-11 ERA that he had in 25 innings last year. Always open. Always open. 7-11. Yeah. Uh, the question is also going to be the rotation because... It's going to be a domino effect with one of these guys not making the rotation, whether it's Bauman, Lowther, Wells. They're going to have to, you know, if the Orioles are still, or Aiken, 
if they want to include them on the opening day roster, stick them in the bullpen. So right. I think there could be a domino effect here, and the Orioles would be smart to keep open a couple spots in that bullpen as swingmen. Yeah, would probably bounce some of those guys out of the conversation. Uh, and then in terms of the outfield, I think that's pretty much a done deal. It's yep. going to be, unless the Orioles make a trade at some point soon, maybe an Anthony Santander trade, it's going to be Santander, Hayes, Mullins, and then you know a question of when Kyle Stowers gets called up. I think... The fact that we're seeing him a lot in spring training is a good sign. I don't think he's going to crack the opening day roster. Same with Yusniel Diaz. I think Yusniel Diaz is, is great in spring training every year, but you try not to be fooled by those numbers, and you look at his AAA Norfolk numbers last year, and they're just not good enough. The Orioles want to give him more seasoning, so I don't think he's going to crack your opening day roster. And then you, you open the door maybe for a Tyler Nevin as a corner outfield spot, I think, could make it. But odds are Ryan McKenna is going to be your fourth outfielder. Yeah, it's Mullins, Hayes, Santander, McKenna. If there's a trade, maybe somebody else. And then maybe halfway through the year, you call up Kyle Stowers. I think the outfield is pretty set. Yeah. Unless something ridiculous happens. And then you also have a few infielders who are versatile enough to put in the outfield if you need to. Chris Owings has gotten a ton of run in the outfield. He could be kind of a fourth, fifth outfield option if you need him we know Jemai Jones has gotten run in the outfield in the minor leagues as well so a couple of the guys that can just bounce all over the field are probably going to be more valuable for you than calling up a Yusniel Diaz earlier than you need to absolutely all right one more thing I want to touch on before we get out of here Brendan and that's the new MLB pipeline top 30 list we Ooh. saw brand new unveiling late last night never get any kind of warning for this really exciting uh but a lot of movement in the Orioles' top 30. We expected Kobe Mayo to jump up several spots. He jumped up a ton of spots. He was outside the top 10. Now he's at number seven. Guy that we think is going to be a fringe top 100 prospect in the next year or two, suddenly getting some national love as the number seven prospect in the Orioles system. Yeah, surprised to see him over, not terribly surprised to see him over Heston Kerstad just based on the fact that we don't know what we're going to get from Kerstad. Surprised to see him over Kyle Stowers. I'm surprised Kyle Stowers is not higher on the list than he is. I would have put Kyle Stowers at number seven, just based on the stats for that we saw from him last year. Obviously, I'm not a scout, and people love the potential that Kobe Mayo has. But I am happy that Jordan Westberg got a little bit more love. I was afraid that Westberg would fall way lower than he needed to, but he stays at number six, which is, I, th- I think, a solid spot for him. And Gunnar Henderson bumps up to number three. Yeah. Ahead of Colton Kowser, ahead of D.L. Hall. D.L. Hall. There's another hype train. Has fallen down. He is now... Number five. Number five. He is still in the top 100 by MLB Pipeline in terms of prospects around baseball, but he is at number five. And for the longest time, it's been Adley, Grayson, and Hall as the three best Orioles prospects. Now we're not talking about that anymore. And it's a credit to Colton Kowser for jumping up there and and taking a spot right behind Gunner. And it's a credit to Gunner Henderson for, you know, cashing in on his potential so far. But DL Hall is getting slept on, Brendan, mostly because of his injuries. And I'm not I'm not buying it. I think DL Hall is still the third this is not anything against Gunnar Henderson or Colton Kowser, but I still think DL Hall is the third most talented prospect in this system. It's out of sight, out of mind. When, yeah. when guys are not seen, and it, it, there are legitimate concerns. Anytime a, a player, a pitcher, goes down with a serious injury like he did, only made, you know, only appeared in 30-some innings last year for Bowie, that's a concern. I, I get that. But oftentimes, you can kind of be the victim of a little bit of recency bias, and at times, if a guy's not pitching or he's not playing in front of you, he tends to fall down the list. So I understand it. And I know there are concerns with D.L. Hall, Obviously, the injury and then the command concerns as well, but he's going to go back out and strike out 20 guys per nine. You're going to tell me he's the fifth best prospect in the system? His stuff is unbelievable. It's also, though, like I said, Colton Kowser has been awesome. Yes. Gunnar Henderson has been awesome. Credit to that. So it's, it's not like, you know, they didn't deserve to be bumped up and they're just being bumped up by default because they wanted to bump Hall down. They They have been insight in mind so they are and have been terrific so they have been kind of pushed up but that doesn't to me take the shine off of dl hall at all as a prospect uh other things of note in that top 30 cesar prieto debuts at number 12 yep 
Leandro Arias, who was in the same signing class. Both of these guys were signed back in the middle of January as international free agents. Arias debuts at number 25, so you have a couple new names in there. Braylon Tavera at number 21. Braylon Tavera, who was, uh, you know, another guy that was part of that draft class, or part of that signing class, rather, debuts at number 21. So you're seeing three new names in there. Yuzniel Diaz falls quite a bit. He was formerly the, a couple years ago, feels like just yesterday, he was the Orioles' number one prospect. Now he has fallen all the way to number 26. I think that's fair. Adam Hall also dropped to number 28. So that conversation we were having in the beginning of the offseason about do you protect your 15th or 16th best prospect in Adam Hall from the Rule 5 draft, the conversation would have been a little bit different if he were the 28th best prospect. A little bit, but I think I probably would have had a similar stance on your number 28 prospect because he's still a top 30 prospect. He's still very good. Zach Lowther, another one who falls down to number 27. He had previously been in the same kind of early teens category with like Mike Bauman. Mike Bauman is at number 13, yeah. I believe. So Zach Lowther falls out of that category a little bit down to number 27. And I think Alexander Wells graduated. I think he got enough innings. I'm not positive on that. So he either fell out of the list or he graduated and is no longer considered a prospect. They, they have a different kind of... Um, rules than baseball does than yeah, MLB if, does in terms of rookie if he didn't fall out he's probably like 31 32 uh also Felix Bautista recently added to the 40-man roster recently added to the top 30 prospect list sneaks in at number 30 yeah which is big for a reliever because yeah. normally you don't really care about reliever prospects so to see a relief pitcher as your number 30 prospect in a very very good system that's exciting some guys who also fell out because anytime you add guys, you have to have some guys drop out. Anthony Servideo dropped out as well. He dealt with some injuries last year. Uh, Luis Gonzalez dropped out. Tyler Nevin dropped out. And Darrell Hernandez dropped out. And I think that speaks to the fact that uh, you're just getting more talent in your system. Yeah. And these were guys that were on the fringes of the top 30 anyway. It's not like they had particularly down years. It's just you add a new draft class, you add a new signing class, it's going to churn, you know, it's going to churn talent through your system. Yeah, another uh, few risers. Joey Ortiz, Johnny up to Riser, number, no, number 15. No, Johnny Riser. Uh, Drew Rahm, up to number 17. Both had really good years last year. Excited to see what they have this season. Yeah. Well, this has been your high school morning news. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, at Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. I think... Next podcast, we're probably going to look at our 26-man opening day roster predictions because yeah. we're going to have a lot more information to assess. And, of course, got to tune in Thursday for the Orioles' first exhibition game on Masson. Some brand-new graphics Ooh. being debuted. New score bug, new intro, all good stuff. I didn't make it. I tweeted it out and realized it looked like I was taking credit for it. I Weird I sure Yeah, I know. I didn't make it, please. Uh, but I love them. They look great. Uh so tune in this Thursday, first of three games on Masson in terms of the exhibition schedule, and then we are right around the corner from opening day. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Bobby Blanco for producing this podcast as well. We will catch you next time.